Sunday blessings to you all. This is the Lord's Day, the day of resurrection that commences a new week and offers a new opportunity to be drawn by grace more deeply into the paschal mystery of Jesus Christ. Through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, may each of us graciously respond to Jesus' invitation to live more deeply his passion, death, and glorious resurrection and ascension and be drawn into loving communion with God our Father. You are listening to Encountering Jesus with the Church Fathers, a podcast pondering patristic commentary and insight on the sacred scriptures, the sacred liturgy, and living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Father Mark, and I welcome you to this podcast on the second Sunday of Lent, the holy season of purification and enlightenment that journeys with the elect in their final and intense preparation for the Easter sacraments of baptism, confirmation, and the Most Holy Eucharist. Guiding us this Sunday in opening the Word of God is Pope St. Leo, one of the Latin or Western Fathers of the Church. In addition, he is one of only a handful of Fathers of the Church designated the Great. As Bishop of Rome in the mid-5th century, St. Leo fought against Arianism, Pelagianism, and Manichaeanism, to name only a few. As Roman society was collapsing, St. Leo provided not only sound leadership in the church, but in society at large by working vigorously to care for the needs of the poor through the corporal works of mercy. On this Lenten Sunday, we listen to an excerpt from his Homily 51, offered probably in the year 445. I've also provided a link to this Sunday's blog entry that contains insights from the Dominican Father Jean Corbon on Jesus' transfiguration. This Gospel reading, dearly beloved, which has struck the interior hearing of our souls through the ears of the body, calls us to the knowledge of a great mystery, and we shall seek for it all the more easily with the breath of God's grace if we turn our thoughts to those things which were told a little while ago. Christ, the Savior of the human race, God, when he established this faith, which calls the wicked to justice and the dead to life, so filled his disciples with the admonitions of doctrine and his miraculous works that the same Christ was believed to be both only begotten Son of God and also Son of a human being. For one of these without the other does not benefit us for salvation. It would be equally dangerous to believe the Lord Jesus Christ either to be God alone without man 
or man alone without God, since we must confess both equally. As true humanity was in God, so true divinity was in the man. To strengthen the vigor of this faith, the Lord asked his disciples what they themselves, among the diverse opinions of others, believed or what they felt about him. And the Apostle Peter, through the revelation of the Father on high, surpassing bodily senses and transcending things human, saw with the eyes of his soul the Son of the living God, and he confessed the glory of the divinity. For he did not look only for the substance of flesh and blood. In this sublimity of faith, he was so pleasing that, gifted with the joy of blessedness, he received the sacred strength of the impregnable rock founded on which the church was to prevail against the gates of hell and the laws of death, nor in loosing and binding the cases of anyone at all was any other thing to be ratified than what it had confirmed by the judgment of Peter. But this height of excellent understanding, dearly beloved, had to be built up concerning the mystery of the inferior substance, lest the faith of the apostle should be so carried away in respect to the glory of confessing the divinity of Christ that he might think the taking on of our weakness would be unworthy of and unsuitable to the God who cannot suffer. And so now he might believe the human nature to be glorified in him in such a way that he could not be affected by suffering or be dissolved in death. As a result, when the Lord said that it was necessary that he go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the scribes and the chief priests, and to be put to death and rise again on the third day, blessed Peter, who was filled with heavenly light and fervent in his ardent acknowledgement of the Son of God, rejected the shame of ridicule and the disgrace of a very cruel death from, as he thought, his devout and spontaneous aversion. But a kindly reproach from Jesus took hold of him and stirred in him a desire to share in his passion. The following exhortation of the Savior inspired him and taught him this, that as far as they are concerned, those wishing to follow him must deny themselves and consider as trifling the loss of temporal things in the hope of things eternal. For those who did not fear to lose their lives for Christ would save them in the end. So that the apostles might accept this strong and happy perseverance with their whole hearts, and that the harshness of the acceptance of the cross might in no way agitate them, 
and that they should never be ashamed of the suffering of Christ or believe this patience, which was about to support the cruelty of the passion, ought to be scandalous for him in order that he might not lose the glory of his power. Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother John, and when he had gone up high on a mountain with them, he showed them the splendor of his glory. Although they had learned that the majesty of God was in him, still they knew nothing of the power of that body of his where divinity was concealed. Then he had promised clearly and explicitly that certain of the disciples there present would not taste death before they saw the son of a human being coming in his kingdom, that is, in royal splendor, which, in a special manner pertaining to the nature of manhood he had taken up, he wished to be visible to these three men. For, encompassed up to now in mortal flesh, in no way were they able to look at and see the ineffable and inaccessible vision of the divinity itself, which is saved for the clean of heart in eternal life. The Lord disclosed his glory before chosen witnesses and illumined that form common to other bodies with such splendor that his face was like the glory of the sun and his clothing was like glistening snow. He used this transfiguration chiefly that the scandal of the cross would be lifted from the hearts of the disciples and that the humility of his voluntary suffering would not upset the faith of those to whom the perfection of his hidden dignity had been revealed. But with no less foresight, the hope of the Holy Church was made firm so that it might know with what sort of exchange the whole body of Christ was to be given, and that the members might promise to themselves a sharing in the honor of the one who had shone as their head. The Lord himself had said, when speaking about the majesty of his coming, Then the just will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Blessed Paul the Apostle assures us of the same thing when he says, For I think that the sufferings of this time are not to be compared to the future glory which will be revealed in us. On another occasion, the same Apostle said, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ your life appears then you also will appear with him in glory. To strengthen the apostles and to advance them in all knowledge, yet another lesson came in this miracle. Moses and Elijah, meaning the law and the prophets, 
appeared speaking with the Lord, so that, very truly in the presence of these five men, what was written might be fulfilled. Among two or three witnesses, every word will stand. What is more stable, what is more firm, than this saying, in whose message the trumpet of the Old and of the New Testaments sound, and with those gospel teachings, the records of the ancient pronouncements concur. The pages of both Testaments agree with one another, and the splendor of his present glory shows, manifest and clear, the one whom the preceding signs had promised under a veil of mystery. As blessed John says, The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth have come through Jesus Christ, in whom both the promise of the prophetic figures and the reason of the commands of the law have been fulfilled, while he both teaches that the prophecy is true through his presence and makes the commandments possible through his grace. The Apostle Peter, stirred by these revelations of the mysteries and rejecting things of the world, just as he scorned earthly matters in his desire of eternal things, was seized by some sort of ecstasy and was filled with the joy of the whole vision and wanted to live with Jesus there where his manifested glory brought delight. He therefore said, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But the Lord did not respond to this suggestion, indicating that what Peter wanted was not only base, but disordered. For the world cannot be saved except by the death of Christ. By the Lord's example, the faith of believers is called to this, that although it behooves us not to doubt the promise of beatitude, we should understand that in the vicissitudes of this life, perseverance must be requested before glory because the happiness of reigning cannot come before the times of suffering. Pope St. Leo the Great, pray for us. Let us pray. O God, who have commanded us to listen to your beloved Son, be pleased, we pray, to nourish us inwardly by your word, that, with spiritual sight made pure, we may rejoice to behold your glory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. 
The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go and announce the Gospel of the Lord. <laughs>